every week. And that, um, that begun a, a few years of real transformation in my life. And so um, I love RUF. I, I owe everything to it, and I'm really glad to, get to hang out with y'all tonight. Um, I uh, would like to spend a, just a few moments <coughs> together tonight. Uh, I want to spend a few moments together tonight thinking about friendship, uh, just asking this question, uh, what does real friendship look like? Uh, so here you are uh, surrounded on uh, a college campus by lots and lots of people that you see all the time. Uh, you're, you're passing probably a lot of the same folks constantly. You're always meeting new people. Um, college is one of these interesting times where you are um, around uh, more people who are like you uh, in a similar stage of life than ever, and yet it can be the most <coughs> lonely time of life. I can remember conversations with students at Kentucky, uh, especially uh, spring of their freshman year, looking at me saying, Jonathan, when, when will I start like finding my people? When will I really find friends? I, I feel like everyone else has found their crew and I have yet to find mine. We had lots of conversations about this, and, and y'all have, have heard all these uh, you know, the, the statistics of, you know, loneliness is, is off the charts right now. Um, rates of depression and anxiety and suicide are higher than they've ever happened before. And even just me saying those words, I know that y'all are connected to those personally, that either you or family members or friends have gone through those things. All right, so in the midst of this loneliness, what does friendship look like? Uh, what does the Bible say about friendship? Uh, we're going to look at a few uh, Proverbs together tonight. and um, Proverbs, or in the Old Testament, it's, it's called wisdom literature. Uh, essentially, uh, the Proverbs, there are these like short, uh, pithy statements uh, that, that help us to live smart. The Proverbs help us, help us live smart. Uh, and, and throughout these Proverbs... You're always driven to, to one of two paths. There's two paths presented. It's the path of wisdom and the path of folly. And so you see a lot of these really stark contrasts presented in the Proverbs. And so the, 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 another way to think about these, it's been said before, that the Proverbs give us a skill in the art of godly living. That if you just think about your life, um, there's a lot of gray areas. Proverbs help you navigate that gray area with, with godly wisdom. They help you live well in that space. Uh, another way you can think about the Proverbs is that it gives us uh, sanctified common sense. It's sanctified common sense. And really, as you read them, you sort of have to grapple with them a little bit and pray and think about this with your friends and community and say, all right, how does this apply to my life? So I want to do that tonight, thinking about friendship. <coughs> Uh, you'll see just a selection of Proverbs. And by the way, they sort of run themselves being matched together topically. Uh, and, and friendship is something that appears throughout the Proverbs. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, let me read these for us. Uh, I'll just say as, um, as I read this, uh, I know there's a lot of different backgrounds here. Uh, some of y'all are, are all in. Um, believe the Bible following Jesus and, and want that to grow more in your life. Of you have some serious questions. Uh, there are others here who are maybe not sure why you're here. Uh, you're, you're not convinced. Uh, regardless, uh, I'm really glad you're here, and I'm going to read God's word for us tonight. And I remind us that this is uh, more than just a book. 
study, but these are actually God's words to us. So I'm going to read this word. Proverbs 13, 26. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. 1824. Man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. And he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 27 verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for these few moments to be together and to consider it. God, thank you that you know each of us here tonight. Uh, you know our story. Uh, you know those things that bring us great shame. You know those things that we're really proud of. Uh, you know those things that are distracting us and are on our mind tonight. God, we pray that in the midst of all of that, you would meet us. That we would know more of you. That we would know more of your grace and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, one of our, our greatest desires in life is to have a friend uh, who truly knows us and still accepts us and loves us. Maybe you've had a friend like this in the past. In the past. It's been said before that uh, our greatest longing is to be truly known and still loved and accepted. And then our greatest fear is that we would be truly known and then rejected. Uh, this, this gets worked out in a lot of different ways. That dynamic gets worked out in dating relationships, right? When you put yourself out there and that there's always that fear in the back of your mind that this person's going to reject you. But this gets worked out in friendship, too, right? That dynamic of wanting to be known and loved and accepted gets played out as you form friendships and as you move forward in friendships. Um, even children struggle to navigate with this dynamic. Um, when I was a little boy... Uh, my desire to be uh, loved and known by a friend led me to create an invisible friend named David. Uh, I'm, I'm sure some of y'all made invisible friends when you were younger. Um, David was great. Uh, he never argued with me. He always did what I wanted to do. He always agreed with me. And I can remember one time in particular where David and I went out to the front yard of my house. And I set up two lawn chairs in the front yard, one for me and one for David. And we watched an invisible baseball game. <laughs> in my front yard. And so um, I was out there having a great time talking to David, watching the game. And now as an adult, I can only imagine what my neighbors thought. What my parents thought is they peered out the window to an empty front yard with two chairs and their son sitting by himself talking to himself out there. Uh, what was going on in that moment? Obviously, there's like some developmental stuff happening, like creativity and imagination forming, right? Um, but we also just want a friend who knows us and loves us and accepts us. And that's a big part of what was getting worked out there. Um, regardless of your view of Christianity or of the Bible, um, friendship is something that we all experience in some way, and it's something that we all long for. And it's not a uniquely Christian relationship, right? It's not unique to Christians. But I, I hope to show you tonight that uh, because of who Jesus is and because of the resources that are available to us in Christ, that in the midst of the crazy loneliness we live in, 
that Christians should have the best kind of friendships. I want you to see that Christians should have the best kind of friendships. Um, and here's how I want to get there. I want us to uh, think about this in three ways. The first is this, that friendship shapes us. And the second is that friendship supports us. And the third is that friendship sets us free. So it shapes us, it supports us, it sets us free. The first thing I want to see is this, friendship shapes us. Look at Proverbs 13, 20 again. That whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Right, sometimes Proverbs are not that hard to understand. Sometimes they're very simple and straightforward. This is saying that our friendships shape us. Um, if, if our friend group is full of wise people, then by nature of us hanging out with them, we will become more wise. The converse is true also, that if our friend group is full of fools, we will become more foolish by spending time with them. Um, think back to middle school, if you dare. Um, I, 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 middle school was tough for me. I had a few rebellious years during this time, which is not uncommon. Uh, but it happened when I started hanging around a, a couple of guys that were just not a good influence on me, and it turned out that I was not a good influence on them either. But I noticed, I think about one year of my life in particular, that I was hanging out with these two other guys. Um, I, it, suddenly it became easier to lie to my parents. I started doing things I never would have done before. I became a lot more just mean to people around me, to kids in my school. Essentially, during that time of hanging out with these guys, I can look at my life, and what uh, used to be bad or wrong became normal. That's what a friend group can do to us. That's the, this, this, this uh, way of the fool, this, this foolish path they're talking about. That's what a friend group can do. It can take what we think of as bad and wrong, and it makes us think that it's normal. That it's normal. It got so bad in this, with this group of friends, my parents eventually said, hey, this is taking you down the wrong path. You just can't hang out with these people anymore. And I, of course, that really upset me as a middle schooler, but now I look back, and I'm so grateful for that. Remember those two paths, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. Your friend group is going to lead you down one of those paths. That was what was happening in my own life. Right, so think about your friends now in this stage of life, the friends maybe you're new on campus and the friendships that are forming. Uh, how are your current friends shaping you? How are they shaping you? Um, each of us has to be able to look at the group of friends that we spend the most time with and say, I want to be like these people. Uh, I have a friend who says that you will become who you hang out with. You'll become who you hang out with. There was a recent study that came out, and this is not shocking at all, but they studied the benefits of group exercise <laughs> compared to individual exercise with the rise of things like CrossFit and all these exercise type uh, group exercises. Um, they wanted to compare, it doesn't really matter. And they looked at a lot of different activities, uh, whether it's you know, CrossFit and running and you know, uh, cycling class, those kind of things. And they, and they measured a lot of different metrics in this study. And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, every which way you look at it, people who work out in groups that are slightly beyond their level of fitness. Their fitness improves more quickly. They're more disciplined and consistent. Their performance over time just skyrockets, skyrockets compared to those who work out. <coughs> Not that surprising. 
how friendships function the same way. We will begin navigating life in the same way that our friend group does. We'll navigate life in that way. So that's the first thing. It's simple, but it's worth keeping in mind, especially at this phase of life that you're in right now. Friendship shapes us. So who are you becoming based on your current friend group? <coughs> friendship shapes us. It does more than that. Proverbs also tells us that friendship supports us. It supports us. Look at Proverbs 18.24. Because a man of many companions may come to ruins, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. All right, so the type of friendship that Proverbs is talking about, it, it's not about knowing lots of people, right? It's not a lot of shallow acquaintances or like having a great network on campus, uh, but it's about being so close to a few friends that they stick closer even than a sibling. Uh, there was a guy that I went to church with. His name was Steve, and Steve was a guy that grew up in this particular town, and he knew everyone. Uh, he he could not leave his house with essentially being mobbed with, by like four different people throughout the course of leaving his house that knew who he was, had some connection to him, and some story to share with them. I mean, he was, we all know someone like this. He was a guy who knew everyone. And he did not have one friend who was deeply lonely. No one actually knew who he was. Lots of acquaintances, no friends. And maybe you can relate to that. Uh, maybe you feel like you know everyone on campus, uh, but you don't feel truly known by anyone. And thus, you don't feel truly supported by anyone. One of the main functions of friendship is that we're supported in friendship. So when I worked uh, with RUF, uh, I talked to a few of y'all about this at, at the beginning tonight. I, my family and I spent three summers at Camp Greystone up the road in North Carolina. We love Camp Greystone. So uh, we got to live there for a month for these three summers, and I got to speak at the camp, and my kids just got to run around and essentially be campers, and it, it was outstanding. And we had some free time in family, and so we were walking around camp, and we got to the big ropes course up on the hill, and I'm terrified of heights, and so I went to my wife, and I said, hey, you should go to the ropes course. Well, the kid, you should go up there and do this. She's like, great, I'd love to. So she gets on there, and she goes up and does the ropes course, and we had a blast. My girls love watching their mother navigate this thing. But it was fascinating to watch this. You know, a ropes course, it's made of, of different ropes and different obstacles. And you sort of work your way through and right high up in the air. So, you, so as a safety feature, you have to wear a harness. And attached to this harness on this particular ropes course at Greystone, you have two carabiners. Uh, they're attached to the harness that you wear, and they're attached to each section that you're on. So as you navigate each section of this ropes course, two carabiners are always latched into the rope in that particular section. And then when you would get to a new section where you'd have to change over, you would unlatch one, latch onto the next section, unlatch the other, latch it on. Makes sense, right? Well, this was a really cool feature. Uh, they, these carabiners were actually wired together. There, there was some sort of like electronic connection between the two where you could not undo one carabiner without the other one being staying connected. So it guaranteed that you were always roped in and supported at any point on the course, no matter if you tried to undo it. It was a safety feature that functioned throughout the course. One carabiner was always latched in. You were always supported. Y'all, real friendship, it guarantees that we're going to be supporting you. Uh, whether
whether it's difficulty in a dating relationship, uh, whether it's you're, you know struggling in a class, uh, death of a family member, uh, dealing with food and eating issues, struggling through some kind of addiction, uh, a health scare, a financial strain that you're in, uh, whatever the case, real friendship gives us guaranteed support wherever we are. All right, now in theory, that sounds amazing. And the first thought is, I want friends who support me like that. And we also think, I want to be the type of friend that supports others like that. We love the thought of this, but practically, it is so difficult and so time-consuming and so frustrating. Here, here's what this might look like. This means that you're going to be there when your friend makes the same dumb mistake again and again. You're going to be there to support them in the midst of that. Um, so Lance Armstrong, world-famous cyclist, uh, I, I was... I sort of followed his whole career. I was his biggest fan, and I was convinced that he was clean. And of course, it came out that he had been doping, that he was <coughs> performance-enhancing drugs, and it was all a sham, and that basically all professional cycling was a sham. Uh, I, I, I've continued to follow his career and what he's done, and I've seen a lot of interviews with him. And it's, it was interesting. He said in one of the interviews that he really found out who his real friends were after all that came to light that he had been performance-enhancing drugs. A lot of people just said, you're a fraud, I'm done with you. And they had the right to be upset, right? But he said that my real friends, you know, they didn't agree with what I did, but they, they continued to support me and to be with me in the midst of that. That's what real friendship does. So it, 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 mean, it might mean sitting with your friend after that big stupid mistake or the thing they've done time and again and, and sticking with them through that. Uh, maybe it means sitting with a friend very patiently while they're wrestling with what they think is a very hard decision, but objectively speaking, you're looking at what they're working through and you're like, this is a no-brainer. This is not a big deal. I know what you need to do here. But that's not where they're at. So you're going to sit patiently with them and wait and be with them. Uh, maybe it means that you're not going to study the night before a midterm because your roommate just got <coughs> broken up with. And so you're going to sit with them and let them uh, and just process and, and be with them in the midst of it. Right. Again, it sounds great, but the reality of this, it's really difficult. And it's crazy to think about, but in this sort of supportive friendship we're talking about, it means that we're going to willingly disadvantage ourselves for the good of our friend. We're going to willingly disadvantage ourselves for the good of our friend. So real friendship shapes us. Real friendship supports us. The third thing I want to see is that real friendship sets us free. All right, nothing that I've said to this point is, is really um, that specific to Christian friendship. But this is. This is unique to Christianity in a few ways that it gives us freedom. We get freedom in a few different ways from our friendship as Christians. And the first way we experience freedom is freedom from hiding our sin. Freedom from hiding our sin. Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes sin will obtain mercy. So they're saying here that, that, that when we hide our sin, it prevents us from prospering, actually holds us back and enslaves us. Yet naming it and confessing our sin actually leads to us experiencing the mercy of God. And so real friendships are ones where it's safe to do that. 
where it's safe to be honest about your struggles. And not only is it safe to do that, but it's just expected. That sort of fair game, that's what you do in these friendships. You open up, you confess sin, you talk about where you're struggling. And something amazing actually happens in these types of friendships that you begin to experience this unbelievable gospel freedom where you confess uh, that struggle or that sin that, that you think you're crazy for struggling with. And then your friend looks you in the eye and they say, hey, I love you and Jesus loves you and he forgives you. And I'm not going anywhere. Hmm. That's a powerful moment. Uh, I had a guy in my office at the church a few months ago and uh, he is sort of peak of his career. Uh, his wife has a great career as well. They have, I think, two young children. Um, they've been married, uh, you know, maybe uh, eight or ten years or so. Uh, but since he was in college, he has been just totally enslaved to a pornography addiction. And so when he came into my office, he, all, all, I, all I got from him was an email saying, hey, there's something I want to talk to you about. I've never talked to you he sits down and visibly nervous and, and, and shaking and he says, Jonathan, for 10 years I've been addicted to pornography and this is the first time I've ever said that out loud. He had not told a soul, not told another human for 10 years. He moved from college into married life, having children, far into his career and it was eating him alive. And when he put <coughs> words to it, when he opened up to me, what this proverb is talking about happened to him. He experienced God's mercy and he felt it in a way that he had yet to feel. And you could see his disposition changed when he opened up to me about this. Physically, he looked different. He looked like he experienced God's mercy for the first time. Now listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this kind of friendship. He says, friendship arises, I'm guessing that Mac quotes C.S. Lewis from time to time. And he's one of the best friends. <laughs> Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. So they're saying they're companions until that moment where they share something that they thought was their own treasure or their own burden. And the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. All right, your friendships are going to begin to set you free from those sins that you just can't shake. When you open up to your friend and in response you hear, what? I thought I was the only one. All right, what's happening in that moment? You're actually embodying in a physical way. You're embodying the good news of Jesus Christ. You're embodying the gospel. You become this physical a reminder to that person of the fact that Jesus knows them fully and died to cleanse them and to pay for all of their sin and mess. Uh, that stuff that Matt talks about week in and week out, it gets real when you physically experience it sitting across from you. When you open up to a friend, you confess what's really going on in your heart and in your life, and they don't leave. They love you, and they remind you how much Friendship sets you free from hiding in your sins. And it gives us another kind of freedom. It 
gives us freedom from being deceived by our sin. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Alright, so when, when they talk about wounds here for a friend, it's talking about hard, loving confrontation. It's, it's lovingly calling out your friends. Right? Um, Alright, so when I was in college, um, I have this very specific memory. Uh, I was going through a phase of my life where I was drinking too much. I basically just started partying. I, I, I was of age. Uh, it, it was legal, um, but it was just getting out of control. I was getting drunk, and I was partying. And um, I had this roommate that we called Snack. Uh, that's another story for another time. But I, I was in the kitchen, and my roommate Snack was in there. And I had this cooler, and there were some... Some buddies were coming over later, and I was loading this cooler up with beer, and and I will never forget this. Um, <coughs> snack uh, loved the Lord very much, and he was a very good friend to me. And in his snack way, he, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Hey, man, what are you doing? And at that moment, it just sort of washed over me like, I've sort of felt myself getting out of control and Snack has seen it happening and he just did what I needed him to do. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, true friends are not yes people. True friends are not yes people. They, they're not going to go along with everything that you say or think or do. They're not just your cheerleaders. Uh, true friends are more interested in your long-term godliness than they are your short-term happiness. They're more interested in your long-term godliness than they are your short-term happiness. And uh, that's what it means to be a true friend. And this proverb says that profuse are the kisses of an enemy, uh, meaning that we ought to be weary if we're only surrounding ourselves with people who are always like all for whatever we're doing all the time, and they never confront us, and they never disagree with us, and they never challenge us. We never have those moments where they put their, their hand on our shoulder and ask us what we're doing. Be weary of those types of friends. Those maybe aren't true friends. Uh, being confronted, being challenged, particularly in areas of, areas of sin in your life, is actually a mark of a good friend. Hmm. And if it's not happening, those might not be real friendships. Another example of what this looks like. Uh, so my wife uh, had a, 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 this close-knit group of about 10 girls or so in college, and, and they all um, were professing Christians, walking with the Lord, trying to grow in their faith and, um, and, and do life together in college. And, um, and there was a friend, one of the girls in this group, that was also professing Christian. Um, she starts dating a guy who is not a Christian. So she's a Christian. She starts dating a guy who's not a Christian. The relationship is very serious, very unhealthy, very quickly. And so my wife and a few of these other girls, they, they're watching this happen. They're like, this is bad news. We've got to talk to her. And so they sit her down, and they just say, hey, you know, we love you, and this is just unwise. We see where this is going, and um, will you just listen to us and, and just not do this? And she resisted, put them back. And she distanced from these friendships, and it was just a very difficult season. And she isolated herself and wouldn't hear that feedback from them. All right, 
After a few months, the relationship fizzles out, they break up. Fast forward a few more years, and their friend was standing up on the altar, marrying a man who not only loved her, but also loved the Lord. And she has since told my wife and these other girls that she was rooming with in college how grateful she was for that time they sat her down and they talked to her about this relationship. Long-term godliness trumps short-term happiness. Long-term godliness trumps short-term happiness in our friendships. And so I want you to let that sort of press in a little bit and think about your own friendships right now. Um, is there a situation where maybe you need to have a hard conversation with a friend? And then I want you to think about the opposite of this. Uh, maybe there are areas in your life right now that are sort of going off the rails a little bit. And I want you to, as honestly as you can, examine your own heart and ask yourself if you are someone who is confrontable. Huh. If someone comes to say the hard thing, um, to sit you down with a group of friends or to put their hand on your shoulder and ask you what's going on, do you have ears to hear it? Are you confrontable? All right, two questions I just want us to, to end with to, as we think about this tonight. The first question is this. Um, where do I find this type of friend? I know we can't say all there is to say about friendship, but even what we said tonight, it, it creates a, a pretty lofty standard for friendship in an age where like friendship is increasingly difficult to do well. So, so where do we find this type of friend? If this is something that you want, how do you begin to build friendships like this? Throw out some things to think about. Here's the first thing I would say. Start in this room. Start in this room. Some of my best uh, lifelong friends come from RUF during my undergrad years. And it was people that like, it was guys that I just kind of stumbled into a small group Bible study with and we started doing stuff like RUF lunch together, <coughs> went on conferences together and we ended up in each other's weddings and now we do like annual trips together all across the country with families and kids. And all. It all started in this room. So start in this room, be intentional. You have to be intentional. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but in the chaos of your busy schedules, um, you have to um, set time to be with your friend and stick to it. That means like maybe you're gonna have to schedule a time to go to the gym, because apparently that's the better way to work out. Go to the gym with your friend, uh, go get coffee with your friend, go walk on a certain time with your friend. Just schedule it, be intentional man. Next thing I'll say is this, um, be open to, to, who might, to, to whoever God might connect you with. Um, we have these like crazy standards of, of like the perfect friend out there that's gonna have like all the same interests and it's just gonna like click with us, it's gonna be amazing. Just be open to who God might bring into your life to become a really good friend. They might, you might, y'all might have like very different interests or very different personalities, but somehow you've connected through a lot of time together. So be open to who God might be connecting you with. The next thing I would say is this: be patient. Be patient. Um, this. This kind of friendship that we're talking about tonight, it takes um, maybe months, definitely years, um, not days and weeks. So think in months and years, not days and weeks. Be patient. 
last thing I would say is this. Uh, think about this type of friendship with one to two people, <coughs> not 10 or 15. Uh, think about going deep with one or two people. So those are some ways of thinking about where to start this type of friendship. All right, how is this possible? How is all this stuff possible? Uh, the, and again, the first two ideas, the idea that friendship shapes us and supports us, those are really possible for anyone, regardless of belief. But this idea that friendship sets you free, uh, where sin is confessed and forgiven and prayed for, and where hard and loving conversations take place, where all the good stuff happens, that kind of friendship can really only happen if you know Jesus. Do you have it in the gospel account in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as a friend of sinners? I put that passage in the bulletin for tonight. Matthew chapter 11, 19, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is referred to as the friend of sinners. Um, People who saw who Jesus was hanging out with, um, they saw him spending time with the mess-ups, with the outcasts, with those who didn't have a strong moral reputation but actually were known for being scandalous. That's who Jesus was moving towards and befriending. And I want you all to hear tonight that Jesus moved toward, moves towards you. He befriends you. such a good friend to you that he comes to us and he says alright give me all of your sin and all of your shame and I'm going to take that on myself I'm going to take it to the cross and I'm going to die to pay for it in full so that you don't have to pay for any of it and then in exchange I'm going to take all of my righteousness and my perfection and my purity and I'm going to give it to you to the degree that it covers you completely. So when my father looks down on you, he doesn't see all those mistakes and sin and shame you're trying to hide. Because I've taken that. What my father sees when he looks at you is perfect purity and righteousness and holiness. Uh, Jesus is the friend who willingly disadvantaged himself are good. He is the friend of sinners. And y'all, he offers this friendship, this salvation. It's yours to reach out and take my faith. Uh, real friendship shapes us. It supports us. And it sets us free. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these uh, moments to uh, stop